Welcome to the Sport Psychologist. Today we talk to Lawrence Puff Summers, an African-American basketballer from Virginia who moved to Mayo in Ireland to play for Ballina and he ended up staying here. In this podcast, he describes the inherent fear of police that black people in the USA have, what it's like to be black in Ireland and his worries for his children. First things first, maybe for people who might not be familiar with you, people who may be outside the basketball fraternity or maybe people who, funnily enough, aren't involved in hurling or Kilkenny might not be that familiar with you. Could you explain to us how you actually ended up in Ireland? Uh, yeah, so I was a professional basketball player. I played four years of, of college at a, at a pretty uh, high level college, Davidson College, where Steph Curry, if, if any basketball fans are out there, that's where he ended up going to college. I was on my way to uh, to Denmark, and then my agent, my French agent at the time, called, and he he told me about a a situation in in Ballina and Mayo where they needed a guard, and it just ended up working out. Um, and from there, I met my wife, and and Ireland was home. You know, when I found out I was going to Ireland, obviously you go and you go to the bookstore and you look for for books on. Uh, Ireland and I'm searching and I'm seeing all this this great stuff to do in Dublin and Cork and Kerry and you know all these different places and I'm just like there's nothing in Mayo and there's definitely nothing in Ballina like where where did I just sign up to go to um so I got there and and then you know quickly I met Liam McHale uh which you have to if you go to Ballina and he kind of gave me the rundown on the history of of Irish basketball and Ballina's place in Irish basketball um, and then the people there were just so friendly and welcoming. And, you know, I, it just, you know, it was it was actually the perfect place for me. And also, I think, you know, in case anybody thinks we're ragging on Ballina, if you actually go there, it is a very pretty town. And much as I beautiful. hate to say it, Mayo is a beautiful county. <laughs> it is. It is. Absolutely. So what year was that? This was 2007. Okay, so would I be right in saying that even in 2007, even though at that point that Ireland had become more multicultural and we'd gotten used to more, because, you know, for a long time, people were getting out of here. Nobody wanted to come here. Mm -hmm. People began coming here. I'm taking it people probably were still taken aback, perhaps, by seeing um, a new new man come into the vicinity and a new man who happened to be black. Uh, it, yeah, it was a bit of that. But I think I think the small town uh situation worked well for me because they were used to bringing in Americans every year and and there was usually one or two you know black Americans who were coming in and then we had the proud son the proud adopted son Diora Marsh um who was you know one of the original black American players who came over in the 80s who has uh he moved over here and settled and he had a family already in Ballina so it wasn't like I was a strange sight um, because they had seen this big six foot six black guy in Diora walking around there and, and living that life for the last 30 years. So me coming in there, it was still, you know, you still get some some weird looks sometimes, but they understood that, that I was there to do a job. And I was just, you know, one of the Americans that were coming through um, year by year. And did you understand when you were coming into Ireland that you were, even though, like I said, we are getting more multicultural and there's lots of different mm -hmm. colors involved in the country now that wasn't. Were you made aware before you arrived, you really are going to be in the minority here? I did know that. I did know that. I played the, the first year, my first year professionally, I played in England in a small town in Kingsland in, in Norfolk. 
And, uh, you know, there were very, very few black people there. So I knew that, you know, obviously Ireland was much different than the UK, but I knew the, you know, the numbers, <laughs> the numbers of black folks around were going to be very similar to what I experienced there. Um, and which I was fine with because I went to a primarily all white high school. It was a boarding school, um, a pretty prestigious school in Virginia. And then I went to Davidson as a college was, uh, I think it was 80 or 85% white. So I kind of adapted to, to being one of the minority minorities, if that makes sense. Growing up in America, how would you have described your experiences? Um, and it's, uh, that see, it's hard, it's hard to even say because you never really think about, like, what is it like growing up? Because before, I guess, the last couple of weeks, it's just, you were just a black guy growing up in America. And that's just, you know, I was just, Amer- that was just my lifestyle. That was just my upbringing. I was just, you know, this is where I came from. But now that you see all of this come to fruition and all the, the craziness going on in America right now, um, you start to realize that that you knew I knew I was different from a very young age. And um, I, I tell this story and I think I tweeted it last week that someone tweeted, you know, when did you realize that you were black in America? And it was like, you know, my dad got pulled over once and uh, and just the way he was talking to the to police officer, he was he was shook. He was shaken. And he didn't know what to say and he was stuttering on his words and it was different because he's a very proud man. And it was kind of after that. And I was only eight years old at the time. After that, he kind of had to talk with me of of how to talk to policemen and, you know, how to conduct yourself and how to stay quiet and and never run and and things like this. And, you know, from there, I knew things were different. And then it was always, um, you know, my parents telling me when I was going to school that I had to do things twice as good. And, you know, I couldn't back talk a teacher and things like that. And, you know, I thought that was just normal life. But then you meet all these different white people that I've become really friendly with through high school and college and, and all that. And it's just like, whoa, they didn't have to they didn't have to have those talks, you know. So that means the experiences that we're seeing, you know, play out nearly every morning. I wake up the last few weeks and I open up Twitter and I see a video that horrifies me more than I ever thought I could be horrified by. And it seems to go up a level every day. That means you and other black people just lived that life because you were black and it was your normal. It wasn't until you stepped outside your normal that you realized this shouldn't be normal. Yeah, I, I never understood. Like, I never understood why I had such a fear for, for police. You know, and you see, like, it's just in the in the black community in general, it's just there's a general fear of policemen. It's never, like, and I come over to Ireland and it's a lot different and you feel like, you know, the guards are there to protect you and help you. You know, like, in America, if I was lost anywhere, I would never see a see a policeman walking down the street and ask for directions i kind of try to find somebody else to do it and here like you see a guard and you say you're lost and you can help them and you know or they they say they can help you or whatever and and it's easier but uh you know i never understood why it was this and i was just born into it it was just a natural fear that i had of policemen and i you know i i guess i understand why now but i you know obviously as a young kid you're not exposed to this level of of the you know the terrible things that are going on now would black girls also, do you know, would they carry the same fear or was it, do you think it was primarily targeted at young black men? Um, I think, I think it's, it's more towards black men, but, you know, there's so many cases of, of domestic violence and abuse um, in America where I think black women would, would feel a little bit more safe towards the policeman. 
know what I mean, going towards them for help because there's so many cases of domestic violence that when they're going for help, you know, anybody outside of that domestic violence, white, black, red, whatever, would, would be better than what they're going through at home. So, uh, so I think that it is a, a different dynamic and not saying that it happens in every black home because it ha- happens in white homes and, and every other home as well. But, you know, I do think that they had that feeling that police were there to help them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but not saying that they had anything any easier because, you know, it's, it's hard enough being black in America. And then they were women on top of that. And, you know, they were usually the backbone of, of these black men who were being, you know, always being accused and, and just feeling the wrath of, of police, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. No, it makes complete sense. And the thing about America is it is such a vast country. I've only seen a tiny amount of it. I have had the advantage of traveling to places like North and South Carolina, which, as you know, is different to New York City. Not better or worse, yeah. but different. But did you find, for example, that were there parts in America that were, I suppose, nicer for you than others? Uh, well, Davidson, the college I went to was in North Carolina. So, uh, so like I grew up in Virginia and I went, spent a lot of time with family and, uh, near the DC area, a little bit closer to home. So like we weren't in the deep, deep South where it's, it's very, there's a lot of very, very racist States. Um, I know my cousin who, who's playing division one football now, American football is in Texas where he feels it on a daily basis. Um, we played a couple games in college and in states like Tennessee and Kentucky, and you'd hear in the crowd, you know, some of the old white men calling you boy. You can't do that, boy. Why you come down here, boy? And you hear these things, and it's like, sheesh, this is this is actually real. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, there are a few kind of really country towns in Virginia that you kind of drive through, and it's like, man, I cannot get out of this town quick enough. Um, so yeah, I did. There, there's a few different places down south that I've experienced it, but you know, I haven't. I, and I was one of the lucky ones. I, you know, we knew the racism was there, but it was never, you know, to the extent that it is in in certain places. I can understand then why not every person. I can only imagine when you have that kind of internal persecution of yourself that you probably didn't even realize, like you said, until you got a little bit older, until you realized actually this isn't everyone's normal. You can understand why. The rage has finally bubbled over. I know it happened in the 1960s. There were LA riots in the early 90s. But it's understandable then that it's finally bubbled over again during a time, during a pandemic, when everyone who was already not well off are probably even less well off now. Yeah, well, like, I, you know, I was talking to my mother and she was just like, um, you know, I, I fear every day. I used to fear every day when you guys went to the park to play basketball, you know, and she wanted to stay home. And we were always wondering, like, man, mom, let us go to the park. We want to play basketball. And she was just really strict all the time. And it had to be somebody was dropping us off and she knew exactly when they were picking us up. And um, and it was because of that fear, you know, so like obviously this pandemic has everything has changed. The climate has changed, the, you know, maybe people's ability to, to deal with these these crazy tragedy, these murders that are going on with the police towards black people. Like maybe it just boiled over, like you said, but I feel like you know, a lot of black mothers and a lot of black parents have felt like we've we've been in a pandemic our whole life. You know what I mean? So they've been trying to keep us at home forever. And, you know, I still wonder, like, she always gets upset when she talks about, you know, me being gone from home. And I've been, I haven't lived at home since I was about 14 or 15 years old. 
And it's still, she has that same tone of, oh, I just worry about you so much. And um, it's a real thing. And it's, it's, it's sad. And, you know, you like it was going to happen at some stage. And, you know, I guess this seeing it on your phone, waking up and seeing it on your phone to see a man being killed by another man, just have his hands in his pockets while his knee is on this man's neck. It's just like, damn, we got to <laughs> we got to do something, you know. Um, there's no point in dancing around the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the big, big, big problem is, I think, that allows people to behave this way is the fact that there is currently a leader in the White House who isn't leading. He is doing his best to keep people divided because he knows by keeping people divided, his core base, it seems to me anyway, and you will know a lot more than I would, doesn't mm-hmm. matter what they see happening. Nothing's going to change their mind. But where does that come from? Is it an inherent fear? that the black people that they once owned might eventually take over. Is it that simple? I don't know what it is. Like, I really don't know what it is. And I don't know, like, you know, obviously this, this current president, uh, you know, I have a lot of uh, opinions about him and I won't, (laughs) I won't really start to get into that here. But uh, I think what really scared the country more was, was having Obama in the presidency. Like, I think that scared like all these, these racists and, and white supremacists, they said, look, guys, we have literally let this black man take over our country. And then, you know, they couldn't get somebody more different from Obama in the White House quick enough. Um, and I think it just set off this, I don't know what this, this explosion of, of like not caring about suppressing that racism that you've always had. And now that they're they're really moving forward and and taking over our country. They got the presidency. Like we gotta we gotta knock these people back in their place, so to speak. Would it be too simplistic as well to say? Because obviously, I, I, there's no way I could believe, and I don't think it's true that everyone who voted for Donald Trump are Republican or racist. Because we know that's not true. But possibly what they all like is the value of the dollar and promises were made that would make them better off. But perhaps people less well off who usually are African American ended up worse off, but they didn't mind because their pockets were okay. I think that's absolutely true. And I think, uh, you know, as much as, as racism is the issue in America, a lot of, a lot more of it is classism. And it just happens that um, there's a a majority of of black folks that are in that lower class. So we're the ones that kind of have gotten spat upon, you know what I mean? So they're, it's not like they're not, masses of black people, Republicans or, or well-off black people who voted for Donald Trump for the capitalistic reasons. Um, so so not every Donald Trump supporter is, is, you know, hates black folks or hates black people. It's just, you know, some things are more important than than these basic human rights to, to those people, which is terrifying. It's, it's very difficult. I, I can't understand it. Um, and I know it's because I didn't grow up in the States and therefore I wasn't born into that kind of culture. But mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe you might be able to do a better exam- exp- explanation than me that how, despite the fact that it's the land of the free, as they say, and land of opportunity, there's a real culture of looking after yourself, like things like the lack of public health care, the fact that like it's very much, well, if he can't afford it, that's his tough. He should be able to pull him up by his bootstraps. Or There seems to be a real mm-hmm. lack of look after thy neighbours. I'm not saying we're perfect in any way, shape or form in Europe, but, you know, we do pay a lot more money into the central pot. Yeah, yeah. um, Yeah, It's that's 100% true. And I think, um, I think if you if you have a lot, then obviously you are well versed and, and you know, you're you have financial literacy and you learn how to increase your wealth. 
and it becomes generational wealth. You know, every once in a while within the black community, we might have one or two people that uh, that that get a bit of money, that do something great or come up with something or, you know, start a great business. But because they have no background, they have no financial literacy that way. Um, it becomes just that generation who who has the wealth and then the next generation is starting over from scratch almost. You know what I mean? So um, so when you have that collective feel with our whole like with our whole race where we were starting that far below below the, the belt, um, it's just hard and it takes a long time for for it to be the whole race feeling as if they they have a you know what I mean, they have any sort of pull within within the country. So there's all these mm -hmm. poor people that don't know that they're broke. They don't know anything. But like, say, for example, my family, we would have all grown up and it was always kind of paycheck to paycheck. Um, there was no savings. There was no there was none of that, man. We just didn't know anything about investing. And, you know, we just kept being poor. And if you were sick, you just kind of sucked it up until it was absolutely vital. And when it was absolutely vital, it was probably going to break break the bank just to, to keep you alive, you know? Yeah, so something as simple as going to the doctor that we just take for granted here. Well, maybe less so now there's less doctors available in Ireland as well. But yeah. in general, in the States, if you were sick, did you have to be quite sick to go? Oh, uh, you had to be damn near dying for my mom to take me to the, <laughs> to the doctor when you were little. <laughs> you know, you better be sick, sick. And please, please don't get into the doctor and then get in there and say, oh, no, I feel better now. Mm -mm. You're going to be feeling something when you get home. <laughs> 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 and that's something that happens in every family we all know those kids who were very very sick at home and then they come in and then they're all of a sudden they're less sick or even worse it is something quite serious but here we don't worry about paying for it and i can only imagine the stress in your mother if you decide you have a pain in your side and it turns out to be appendicitis sick yeah exactly because uh my daughter had to get her her tonsils uh, out last year and she was she was always getting sick um and tonsillitis or whatnot and you know for me it was just kind of like man we just we got to get her that medicine got to get her better and my wife was just always at the drop of a hat was just like oh let's go to the doctor and I was like what you know what I mean and, and it was just like it's like I feel like I've grown I've, I've grown out of of what I grew up in but then there's there's certain things that kind of hit you and it's like automatically I become my mom again you know 25 years ago so let's fast forward again. Let's get you on that plane out of the United States uh, into Ireland, because I feel we've done a lot of US bashing, which isn't fair because we're not perfect here either. No, no, no. Um, and we're nowhere near perfect. We have treated minorities abysmally in this country, everything from unmarried mothers to people from the traveling population. Mm -hmm. And I think it's coming to light now. Finally, I think, you know, people who are black in Ireland or who basically aren't white with red faces are getting abused as well. And I think they're finally being heard this week. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. It's, How have you found your experience? Um, my experience in Ireland has been, uh, and and so for me, I've I've kind of been in a sheltered community because I've been in the basketball community. I've tried to stay within that community. So within that basketball community, I've been I've been looked after very well. Like everybody treats me with respect. Um, everybody loves the Americans that come over here, and you know, thankfully, I I was able to stay and I've created a family over here. And I've created my own basketball business um, and everybody has supported it. And, and, you know, everybody in basketball Ireland has been very appreciative of how much I've tried to give back to the game. So I'm, I'm blessed in that regard. Um, have there been like 
racist moments that I've had and, and funny looks when people, you know, walk to the other side of the sidewalk because I'm coming. Like, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of the, the racism that happens in Ireland is, is more ignorance and people just not understanding uh, what's different than them. Um, but I, I don't think it's as deep rooted as anything close to what it is in America, you know? I don't think that excuses us either because I think we've seen throughout history as well the a, lo- a way that a lot of the Irish people survived was becoming really assimilated. If that meant hating on black people or whatever just to ensure that they survived, they did it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say one thing about what I've found in, in Ireland is that people automatically have uh, these thoughts of, of black Africans, especially. You know what I mean? So I'll get mm-hmm. certain looks and, and people will treat me a certain way and then they'll hear me speak and they'll hear the American accent and they'll be like, oh, he's cool. You know what I mean? I can see their faces change literally when they hear me speak. Um, and I just, I think that's crazy. I think, you know, for me, it's, I'm, I'm treated 100% different than, than what Africans are treated like. And, you know, I think that's obviously it's unfair, but it's just, it's something I've noticed over the years, time and time again. So, yeah, that would go along with the point that obviously we have different levels of blackness for the want of a better way. Mm-hmm. So therefore, a black American is better to us than, say, a black Nigerian. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the American accent nearly gives you a little bit of a actually he's OK because you you talk in a way that's familiar to us. Yeah. 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 And then when you when you take it to the next level and they ask me questions and then I'd say, I'm, you know, I'm a pre- professional basketball player and you know, I've lived here for 12, 13 years or whatever, um, then they open up to me a little bit more. And I think, you know, with this whole Black Lives Matter movement, I think that's the whole point of what Black folks are trying to create. They just want to create that dialogue, you know, take time to come and ask me some questions and don't assume I'm going to steal something or don't assume I'm lazy. Just ask me questions and get to know me. And then once you get to know me, you might still not like me, which is fine. You know, I might talk to, to somebody on the street and I just don't get on with them. That's fine. But, you know, get to know why and have a reason why you don't like, maybe I just have a certain way of talking that you don't get. Don't let it be just because I'm a black guy and you're a white guy or whatever the case may be, you know? Well, your wife decided to get to know you and she decided she liked you enough to hang out and eventually marry you. <laughs> yeah. But I'd assume at, at the beginning, I suppose, I, I, I'm assuming she's Irish, isn't she? She is. Yeah, she's Irish. Male woman. And what was her family's reaction when she told them she picked up a lovely American and, oh, by the way, he's black? Um, well, it's, it's so funny because the team that I came to, the, the Balanai team, uh, her dad was the chairman of that club. Right. Her dad was the chairman and then her brother was the secretary, the guy who booked my flights to, to fly over here. So it was kind of the running joke at our wedding was that they flew me over here to, to marry their poor daughter, the poor sister. <laughs> um, but they had they had obviously dealt with with so many of the black Americans over the years. And, you know, basketball was such a big part of Balanai, such a small town and tight knit community that, uh, you know, I don't like. The one thing that I don't like is when people always say, oh, I don't see color. I don't see color. I think that's it's crazy to say, like, of course you see. It's the first thing you see, you know, so they uh, they would like they would never say, oh, I never saw Puff's color. If if they met you, if you were talking to them, they did notice it, but it never mattered. Like they my first Christmas before my wife and I were even together, my first Christmas in in Ireland, I spent at their house and they opened their home up to me on Christmas because I was obviously here and, and by myself. 
And that was just the, the type of people that they were. Um, and when it ended up that my wife and I decided to be together, they were supportive and, you know, they have been ever since. And they've, you know, I, I, they, they've done so much for me. I can't even put it into words. So that was a really good experience for you. I'm assuming, though, for strangers who might seen might have seen the two of you, say, walking down the street together, say, mm. on a weekend away to Dublin, a mixed race couple, it, it was still quite unusual here until a few very short years ago. So I'm assuming it was a bit of a learning curve for your wife as well. Yeah, but she, I mean, she is, she is so incredibly strong-willed and as stubborn as I am, which, uh, you know, so anything, any, any cross looks that we might have got, um, she would give a cross look right back and she'd never bat an eyelid. And, you know, she just, I don't, I don't say she, I wouldn't say she didn't care because it obviously affects everybody for, to have people murmuring and, and talking about you behind your back. Cause we could see that that was happening. You know, it happened even within Balana, even within the small town, especially the small town, small towns talk to worse. Um, but, uh, you know, she never, she was relentless and, and, and that, you know, we we figured out that we loved each other and we wanted to be with each other. And, you know, that was that. It was never even an issue. And the thing is, as well, I don't have children. But what I do know about having kids is that whatever worries you have about yourself, uh, once the child is born, mm-hmm. I think parents a lot of the time forget about their own worries. And now you're worried about your child and you're worried about things that could be said to them or done to them or things they could miss out on. Like you said, because people are choosing to see their color. Yeah instead of just seeing their color yeah, if that makes it, sense. it terrifies me like it terrifies me every day it terrifies me that uh you know just some kid who doesn't know any better is going to call my 11 year old daughter the the n-word and she's not going to know what it means even though i've explained i've i've explained so much black culture and black history to her that i know it's nauseating for her and it's annoying and i hate that i have to do it i hate that i have to let her know that we're different and you have to understand if people say this, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm, I'm just terrified that she will have to go through that and that there's still the possibility that she will have to go through things like that, you know? And do you think would life be easier for, say, your daughter if you were in an urban or a rural area or does that make a difference? Um, I think if, if we're in an urban area and there's more people that look like her, I think that that obviously makes you feel more comfortable that's for anybody like if you go to a place like even when you go on holidays and you see other irish people on those holidays it's like automatically you feel connected you know what i mean like this is just the way of the world so if she saw more people that actually look like her um i think i think she'd probably be more comfortable like living here in kilkenny and we kind of live um outside of the of the city of the town or whatever uh and she is the only she is the only black person in her class say and I asked her all the time, I was like, does that make you feel weird? Um, does it make you feel weird that, that the girls like have never seen hair like yours and they're always trying to just like, no, um, which I'm thankful for because she doesn't see that there's any difference because, you know, going on a play date is just going on a play date. It's not, you know, I'm going on a play date to one of my white friends house, you know. Um, so so I'm thankful that we live in an area where like everybody is just accepting and you know, they, they're accepting to me and we live in a great community. So, you know, I, I haven't seen any difference in, yet. And we live in a pretty rural area. Is one thing I will say about Basketball Ireland and full disclosure, obviously I did so work with them as well with some of their um, underage international teams in a sports psychology point of view. So I saw the great work that's being done. Aside from 
other sports maybe in Ireland because they had that culture of bringing in international players and usually we'd always be looking for which yank did this team get this year because that might make the whole difference for a season so that was great you know that helped assimilate and it showed you know multiculturalism maybe to and exposed people all over the country to stuff they mightn't have we have another layer now and you touched on it there earlier which is of course the difference between the African black and the American black and obviously now we have you know, and one thing about Basketball Ireland, which I thought was really, really admirable, was that it didn't matter where you came from, even if you lived in a direct provision hostel, you were getting to play basketball and you could be good at your sport. And it didn't matter who you were or where you were. And it gave them a little bit of something to hold on to. And they didn't have much else of identity or sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think I think Basketball Ireland have done a great job. I think if you look at our under 16 uh, boys team last year, I think there were seven or eight black kids on that team out of the 12 to go from um not when i first came here there weren't even that many of the african kids even playing to to be at a level where there are seven or eight uh irish internationals at the under 16 level is you know it's huge progress it's unbelievable to see um and i know what i'm seeing is there are a lot of black americans who kind of came over here and made their homes here um and now we're seeing the kind of second generation their their kids growing up and being half American, half Irish, um, you know, black with, with Irish mothers. And it's just amazing to see these young black kids growing up in this, in this, uh, in this country and just how they've adapted. And, you know, most of them are, are great basketball players, which, you know, I guess it's, it's in the genes. Um, but it's just, uh, it's so intriguing for me to see with, with having my own two daughters now growing up in that and doing that same thing, you know? What broke my heart was when I was watching all these basketball summer camps going on throughout Ireland or maybe training camps or weekends away. We know Basketball Ireland has no money like compared to other sporting organizations. They do their best, but still parents have to ferry the yeah. kids there. They have to pay to send their kids overseas to play games, all this kind of stuff. And I always felt for, you know, like you said, those children who maybe came here of recent immigration and they're living in direct provision centres and their parents don't have the money. And who knows, maybe the child might not even have a passport to leave the country. This is going to be a big issue, I think. If we're not very, very careful, there's going to be a whole lost generation of black children who are Irish, who were brought here by parents who are not Irish. And they're going to be caught soon in a way that they don't they won't know who they are, who's going to support them. We definitely are not doing enough to support these people. Yeah, we're not. And, you know, those those situations, the situation of basketball Ireland where we can't really fund uh, international teams yet is just, you know, it's something they're working on. And it's something that's really uh, it's just unfortunate. It's just the fact that we just have no money. Um, But what I will say is two things on that. So, number one, I think the communities of these young black men have been unbelievable in helping them fundraise, which shows that there is, you know, a little bit of light in that situation and that people and obviously white people, white Irish people are having to get on board with that as well. That We're really coming together and supporting these young black athletes, which I think is amazing progress. Right. And then number two, um, the will of, of these, these black mothers and black fathers with these kids, you know, I know there's been, a good few of them who, who have wanted to come to my camps and I knew they couldn't really afford it. And you would never want to be disrespectful and say, Hey, you know, just, you know, chill out on, on wanting to pay that. And even if I ever did, those parents would be adamant and not taking anything for free. You know what I mean? Like they want to, they want to pull mm-hmm. their weight. They want to give their child the, the, 
the best opportunity to survive and the best opportunity to do things they love. And uh, it doesn't matter how much they're struggling. They, they go out of their way to make sure their kids are getting everything they want. And, you know, seeing that time and time and time again, it's just like, I wish everybody would just open up their eyes and see this man. Cause they're busting their, they're busting their butts to make sure that their family is, is safe and happy the same way as any, white or Irish or American or whatever family, the same way anybody else does, the same way you fight for your kids, they're fighting for their kids, you know? I think as a good way to wrap this up, I'm going to assume that anybody who downloads this is either going to have an interest in basketball, they're going to have an interest in you, or they're actually going to have an interest in a black person living in Ireland. And a lot of people, as we've seen now during the week, you know, people are, are kind of realizing, oh, I haven't done enough. What should I say? What do, I don't want to offend him. What can I say? Mm-hmm. What can I do? So anyone listening to this, I mean, I know there's a huge fear in Ireland. You know, we'd rather lose a leg than offend somebody to their face. I mean, we'll say whatever we want behind <laughs> yeah. your back, but to your face, we don't want to offend you. What should yeah. people yeah. do? Yeah, and for me, it's just been, uh, you know, I, I think, so I'm different than a lot of black Americans that come over here. Usually they come over here and, and they're six foot eight or six foot nine and, and huge. And they're, you know, really, uh, they're, they're scary looking even just they're, you know, they're, they're huge. Um, for me, I'm a five, nine, I'm a, I'm a regular guy. Uh, I'm not physically imposing whatsoever. Um, so I come over here and I'm just, you know, I can be in a crowd and I can walk all the way through. Like I, you probably can't see me over the, the taller people in the crowd. You know what I mean? So I think I'm a little bit easier to approach. I'm, I'm more approachable. And then when people come up to me, I would, you know, I talk like this forever. You know what I mean? You ask me questions on how I grew up, what it feels. I'll ask, I'll answer those questions forever. So like, I hope for anybody listening that I at least shed a little bit of light on, on what my experience is anyway. And uh, I hope I at least open people up to, to be willing to have conversations with people of color just to, to get what they're going through and, and to learn their feelings because you know, what I've like for all the, the black community within the basketball circle, um, I've been talking to them all week and it's just a lot of heavy hearts and it's a lot of people just wanting to talk and wanting to be comforted. And, you know, so if you if you are around anybody like that, please, please don't be quiet. Just a text or a phone call. It means a lot to me and it means a lot to everybody else in the black community just to let them know that you're thinking about them in this crazy time. Finally, obviously, you're living in Kilkenny. You're heavily involved in sports. Do you have a very deep fear in the bottom of your heart as well that your children might turn around and pick up Schlitter instead of basketballs and hurl? Nah, I've seen my 11-year-old try to swing that hurl, and I'm, I'm in no fear of that. <laughs> She's, there's no talent there. There's no talent there. And maybe that's a, a little bit of me kind of pushing her that way, but I've, I've given it her. I, I bought the hurl. I got the helmet, all the stuff had her set she's just not very good which i am silently delighted about <laughs> well i mean where would she get the genes a dad from america and a mother from mayo was yeah. never going to help even in a yeah, yeah. stronghold so if she plays gaelic <laughs> football i'm sure my wife and my wife's family would be a little happy um my wife my wife actually runs a gymnastics club here in kilkenny so uh she's not even that big my, my daughter is not even that big in the basketball yet because i can't really compete with the backflips and the somersaults you know